0: Welcome to the sixth episode of the Vets Vective for Vets podcast from Vet Partners. My name is Claire Whittle and
1: I'm from LLM Vets in the Northwest. I'm Amy Saran and I am from West Point Farm Vets in the South East, and we will be your host today. Each episode, as you know, a new face from the industry will join us for an open and lively discussion with everything from careers to alpacas on the agenda. But for now, let's get back in.
0: Joining us today is Sarah
1: Tomlinson, also from Vet Partners in Derbyshire. Hi Sarah. Hi. Hi, yeah. We're really excited to have you here, Sarah. Thank you very much for taking the time out to join us.
2: You're very welcome. Always happy
1: to talk. Let's talk about your background, Sarah. What's your sort of primary work here at Vet Partners? So, I have been
2: a farm vet for 20 years this summer. It seems like yesterday that I graduated. I worked in mixed practice for six years, which I really loved. I flirted with the idea of doing a surgical certificate, but then got the Dream job offer to go and work for a farm-only practice locally and been doing farm work ever since. Joined West Point 11 years ago, so um, been working in Derbyshire the whole of my career. Love farm work, love everything about it, being part of the community. But I am now finally hanging up my stethoscope and Vexel gloves, for now anyway, to join the Kingshay team as their veterinary consultant with my primary role being um, overseeing the TB Advisory Service.
1: Could you tell us a little bit
2: more about TBAS? I can. So this was, um, TB Advisory Service was started four years ago now. It was a lump of um, RDPE funded money that was tendered for to deliver biosecurity TB advice. So we took that as sort of going on to farm, really, free visits for farmers to talk about TB, as if it was an infectious disease, because it is, you know, it should be no different to Yoni's BVD. And I think, and I hold my hands up as well. I don't think as VETs, we've done that over the years. So it is government controlled in some respects. We're told what to test, when to test. And more importantly, farmers are told what they can't do with their business, which I totally understand. I have absolute, you know, empathy with farmers. TB is a devastating disease, but I try and park that, try and park the politics and actually focus on what farmers can do for themselves on their farm to reduce the risk of a TB breakdown. You know, how could TB arrive on the farm? How can it circulate on the farm? And what, you know, pinch points can we control, if not eliminate, to massively reduce their risk of a TB breakdown? And I've been going to do this for my clients who I've talked about TB for the last 20 years with some of them. And actually, every one of them has admitted at the end of it, they've learned something about TB, about the tests, about the science, about the politics. So, you know, TB is boring in a way. Everybody thinks they know enough about it. But I do yeah. challenge everybody, you know, to, to actually look at TB in a slightly different way on farm.
0: So there's been some recent updates with the TBAS there, hasn't there? Can you tell us a bit more about those? And what that There has. About? So
2: previously, the TB advisory service was only available for high risk and edge farmers. And so that did limit, you know, who we could approach um, within our our practices. We've had some new funding from DEFRA, which was another tender, which um, a company called Farm Care Solutions, which Vet Partners is part of, um, has been awarded that money. We're still ironing out the details, but we will be delivering free free visits and a telephone advice I'd say late autumn. um, And it's now available for all farmers in the high risk edge areas and low risk areas of England. And it's for all farmed TB susceptible species. So that includes deer, goats, camelids, sheep, pigs, as well as cattle. So we've got a whole, you know, new um, audience to go at.
0: And the service is delivered by vets. Is that Right. right?
2: Yes. So previously, we did have very, very experienced on-farm advisors. But with the government re- review uh, response to Godfrey, private vets have been shouting at government, we want to be more involved in TB control through BVA and BCVA. So actually, they've listened to us and said this money will go directly to private vet for you to be able to deliver this advice for your clients.
1: I think this is so... Good really for for all species that are susceptible to TB I mean it gives us as vets the opportunity to deal with TB so much more holistically and empower our farmers to take more control you know of of the disease so I think that's um, a really great opportunity for us all to to really reframe how we deal with TB. Most definitely yeah and and
2: alongside delivery of visits we're asking farm vets to engage in a little bit of TB training because again we we do the improve for our TB testing we look at TB as a public health issue you know as a notifiable disease but actually what we do with the training is flip it on its head and approach it as if it was an infectious disease on farm. TB is a is the same family of bacteria as Yoni's So actually, it's very similar, the approach we take as we do managing yonis on farm and looking at those biosecurity factors that we can influence.
1: Where can our vet listeners get uh, updates on TBAS2 and how will they be able to engage with it? So the easiest
2: place um, is to Google TBAS and we have our own website and all the contact details are, are on there. We have an email address, info at tbass.org.uk. There is a phone number, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm sure we can add it in at the end. Um, and, um, and yeah, and just leave your name and address and we will get back to you as soon as we have finalised the training date. The exciting bit with Kings Hay is we are developing our own sort of data capture app. So that even though the visits are very bespoke to the farm, There will be a format to follow. So I don't know what you guys are like. You know, I've spent 20 years health planning on farm. You go to farm, you ask lots of questions. You get back and you think, oh, I didn't answer that question. or I didn't ask that. So it's a process to form, to gather all the information we need. And hopefully it's all done on farm. Because again, you write notes, you scribble things, you write notes on your laptop at a health plan. And then you think, I'll go back and write that up this afternoon. Then things go wrong. A month later, the farmer rings and says, where's my health plan? And you go, ooh. So the idea is it's all done on farm, all completed, really simple.
0: And so for all farmers, Sarah, it's basically an opportunity to get your bit out on farm for free and talk about making your farm as safe as possible against TB and, as you say, all those other infectious diseases as well.
2: Definitely, because in my experience, TB, deci- TB affects every decision farmers make on farm. So farmers don't cull those Yoni's cows, those high cell count cows, those lame cows. They wait until just before their TB test, just in case they're a TB reactor, a slaughterhouse case. They might lose a high, you know, a proportion of their um, lactation dairy cows, for example. So they keep that cell count cow, that cow that has, you know, not quite got in calf in the carving pattern. And so all the management decisions that could make them more efficient and more productive, and therefore have less environmental impact, you know, sustainability is a big thing. If we can manage TB and lower the risk and the, the incidence of TB nationally, that has an automatic win-win for managing other endemic diseases, and also sustainability long term, you know, being productive and efficient is is part of that that whole story isn't it?
0: Sarah I obviously follow you on Twitter a lot and you're obviously quite vocal about TV and I think as a vet myself and I've been you get slightly worried about talking about things where there's quite a lot of controversy but you deal with that really well is that is, is that because you, you have such an interest in it or is it uh, yeah because you like talking about it? So So I, I do and I try and
2: stick to the facts and evidence So uh, I suppose I am lucky that I sit on the um, bovine TB partnership. So I do kind of have a bit of a grasp of the politics and the policies um, around TB. I also have had a little bit of media training through the National Farmers Union, which actually was really, really useful because the key message is, is stick to what you know and bring it back to how it affects you or people you know, so your story. So, you know, on Twitter, I talk try and talk about my farmers, how things affect my farmers, because I know that nobody can question that. And, you know, I always try and back things up. We've got the TB Hub, which is an amazing resource of research, a combination of research, practical um, biosecurity leaflets, updates on policy. So actually, it's all there. So just link into things like that. And no, again, hopefully nobody can question you. You always will get the people that disagree with your science, but, you know, you've just got to park that and go and have a glass of wine and realise you've got a family at home and actually social media, social media, isn't it?
1: <laughs> so if we if we um, just go back to sort of your career choices and your career path there, Sarah, I'm interested in what you said about sort of building community and and being part of, you know, a bigger community just within an agricultural family. Like you are a farm vet, but part of your community is your your actual farmers. How do you think we can build a better community in agricultural um, groups and agricultural professions?
2: It, It is accepting that, you know, it isn't a nine to five job it is a vocation and when you're in a small community when you go to the supermarket you might see somebody that you've worked with you've worked for and and actually they can be quite rewarding because you can ask how slack C's are doing that I did last week and they'll go I know amazing great and actually we need that positive feedback don't we um I try and praise my farmers you know if you're at local shows go and tell them wow your stock look amazing I think that kind of We thank them, they thank us to try and build on, you know, the positives as vets. We can be perfectionists and we dwell on the negatives a bit. And I think farmers are a bit like that too, backing each other up. I mean, going back to right at the start of my career, all I ever wanted to be was the farm vet. But when the telephone went, the farmer said, is Sarah there? Can she come out? And I think hopefully maybe I've achieved that. Everything else has been a bit of a bonus, really. And like I say, it's been a big decision to, to drop. I dropped to two days a week to do the TB advisory service previously. and It has been a really big decision to stop putting my hand up cow's bottoms and, you know, um, TB test, because actually that gave me some integrity when I stood up in front of other farmers and other vets to say, I'm going to tell you what I think you should do about TB. Mm-hmm. You know, what, I've got my feet on the ground and I'm doing it every day. I like to think my 20 years experience now will stand me in good stead for that. And I'm still part of a wider, you know, active farm vet group. So, um, so I can draw on, on all your guys' future experiences too.
1: I think your, your move, your lateral move in, within our wider company is, is, is one of the massive benefits of working for a company like Vet Partners. Um and, I know you said, you know, it's a big decision, perhaps like wrestling with leaving clinical practice. Do you think our identities as farm vets are very much tied up in the clinical aspects of it?
2: Most definitely. I mean, I have been doing farmer presentations and vet presentations on TV for a long time now. And I've worked with some really great social scientists and they always laugh at me when because my first slide is always a picture of me doing lambings, carvings, being on farm and saying I am a proper farm vet. And he said, what do you mean by a proper farm vet? Do you not think this is being a proper farm vet? And I think we do have to get out of the mindset ourselves that just because we aren't putting our hand up cow's bottoms every day and stinking of cow poo by the time we come home, that we're not a proper farm vet. Um, you know, anything to me that feeds into it, farmers um, gaining more knowledge, um, being more productive, more efficient, all that sort of stuff, to me, is being a, a good farmer.
0: You are yep. a full vet, and you are also a mom, <laughs> which is great. Um, and often we hear about um, difficulties, or certainly historically about um, practices or vets having problems trying to get back into work after they've had kids. Um, people expecting or having quite high expectations of people. What have you found to be the case while while you're working? So. I have been really lucky and I had
2: my first child when I was in mixed practice and I basically asked for flexible working so I did every Friday night every Saturday morning so that gave um the second on call vet a Friday night and Saturday morning off so I looked at it as if um you know what can I do to help the team um when I then went into full-time veterinary uh, farm vetting actually it was much easier I think Females have this impression that 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 small animal practice, maybe equine practice is more suitable to having a family. I would totally disagree in that farm betting is nine to five, Monday to Friday. And then farmers call you out of hours, which they don't like doing generally because it costs them money. So it's it, it's much easier to plan your day. So for a long time, I worked two days a week. They were the days that my routines were. And my farmers knew that I was on the end of the phone the other days. If I didn't answer or couldn't answer, then they rang the office. Again, that was part of that community. They respected my time. that I wasn't working. But equally, I would text them if I was waiting for the kids at swimming lessons or something. It was that give and take, I think. Um, Being pregnant. We don't really do anything on farm where a cattle cow that could be dangerous isn't restrained very well. Um, and this day and age more so there are a lot more things like the tb advisory service like health planning like data stuff but actually there is a lot more that you can do um from the office i've actually helped write a vet partner's pregnant female working document because i want i was i was really passionate about that that we feel that we're letting the team down we feel that we're not pulling our weight whereas actually you know We can be an active member of the team, just slightly different. And it it shouldn't be that you've got good teammates around you that go, oh, you don't need to go on that carving. I'll go for you. And then you think you owe them one. So actually the best person I would tell any females who are thinking about getting pregnant or are pregnant, talk to I think is your head receptionist. They're probably female, probably already had family. And actually they know the diary. They can surreptitiously sort of, move you around a little bit they often know where the good toilets are on farm where you get a good a, a break and a cup of tea on a TV test they're the ones i think to take you know when you're in those early stages of pregnancy you don't want to tell maybe a lot of people to just have a quiet word with them the rule that if a farmer if you can't do your full job that you can be suspended on full pay well what does that word suspended sound it sounds like you've done something wrong So again, it's just changing the language in these documents for the females that are pregnant to read. And actually, maybe in my second or third pregnancy, that wouldn't have been a bad thing. But In my first pregnancy, I was quite a new grad vet. All my friends were my work colleagues. So to be sent home into an isolated kind of um, situation away from my friends, actually, that wouldn't have been a good thing to do. So it's And and again, I found this really hard to do, but telling people what you want, you know, be willing to compromise, definitely. But actually, if you don't tell other people what you want and how you would like your day to look, same with returning to work when you've got young children. That time with those young children is so finite, it'll finish. You know, so what if you take five, six, seven years out of your career where you're part time or you don't work? you know, I'm 20 years in, I hope to God, I've got another 20 years still in me, the 10 years I work part time, it'll be a, such a small fraction of my career, that, uh, but actually, all of a sudden, your children are grown up, I've got a 15 year old that's six foot one, you know, that now can't, um, I can't catch him when he runs away, that, <laughs> I, you know, I do regret in a way the way I managed, you know, how I was when I, he was he was little. I felt I needed to have to go back to work full time because I was a vet. And if I didn't, I would be thought less of. So that's kind of my my message out there is is, you know, think about what you want and ask for it. But, you know, obviously be willing to compromise. But don't, for God's sake, put your career, you know, ahead of those small children because it is finite. And I have been very lucky as well in that, you know, our diary is flexible. When I was working as a farm vet, if I had a routine and it was sports day, you know, again, it comes back to being that part of that farming community. I could ring the farmer and say, do you mind if I come an hour earlier? Only it's sports day at two o'clock. And, you know, West Point knew I would make that time back with an evening meeting or doing emails and phone calls at night when you're more likely to get the farmer in his kitchen, to be fair. So it's, yeah, it, and I, I can't, yeah, I can't reiterate enough how lucky I have been because I have had bosses that n- trust me enough to allow me to take that time out in the day to do parents' evening sports days, things like that.
0: Do you think that all of us need to just stop feeling really guilty all of the time? Yeah. And Every actually, <laughs> I spend a lot
2: of my time thinking I'm not being a very good housewife I'm not being a very good mother and I'm not being a very good vet instead I should have been saying no my neck you're doing full-time vet job you're rearing three children and actually you do get dinner on the table quite often and the house isn't too much of a state and actually why is it my role anyway to do that you know so part of it is us but part of it is having you know people around you that can tell you that as well sometimes
1: I think it's really heartening what you're saying about how flexible farming is, d- despite it not appearing that way on on the surface. Because I know I certainly w- would have thought that, you know, part time working and flexi time and flexible shifts was more applicable to Smalley's work. But after after we we did do that reshuffle on the documents surrounding pregnant people and and you know showing that that we have it in us to be flexible, particularly through COVID as well. Mm-hmm. I think I do think like farm vetting is is, is becoming a lot more progressive and its attitudes to work and um you know what colleagues need. But the key thing like that that you said was you've got to tell people what you what you want and what you need. Yeah. I think that's so key for retention of farm vets and, and maintenance of farm vet well being that not enough of us really sit and take stock and say, I, I want this, I don't want this here is a way around this problem um, and, and communicate with one another for fear of, of being seen to be lazy or, or slacking or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Experienced farm vets are like
2: hens, <laughs> and, and actually we, should, we shouldn't be frightened. You know, I thought if I, want, if I asked to go part-time, they'd just say, oh, we'll go and get a vet who's full-time. And you think, well, go and find one then sort of thing. We've got to remember that we're very valuable commodities and I would, you know, I'd tell any vet practice owner, actually farmers are really loyal to vets, not a brand. So if you look after your individual vets, you know, you will have a successful practice. And I think, again, our team at Ashbourne, I think we're one of the long, probably the oldest team um, collectively, but also we're the longest standing team. And And I think that's got to be something to said for, you know, my boss's manage management style and the way that, you know, West Point was set up originally um, with that, you know, that very much, that, that sort of flexible trust that the job will get done alongside, you know, having a good work-life
0: balance. We'd really like to hear about the high points of your career. Anything really exciting? <laughs> so
2: I might get quite emotional. Um,
0: so my high point has
2: to be being um the cream awards dairy dairy vet of the year because i am going to get emotional because that was the industry saying we think you're doing a great job um i am by no means dairy vet of the year and i should think some of my colleagues would sort of laugh at a little bit at that but it was hopefully for the work that i was doing around tb and raising industry awareness and looking at tb in a different way um but that was massive um career lows i guess part of it it was around having a family and working part-time and in my head feeling that I was, you know, my veterinary career was slipping away. I saw younger, often male vets coming into the the company and being, you know, selected for management boards and I wasn't even sort of invited to apply or um, given more more management roles, I guess. Um, So that was, yeah, I felt that that actually, yeah, that I was just ever going to, all I was ever going to be was a farm vet. And I knew I wanted to do more than that. But that is how I got involved in TB though. I started going to local NFU meetings, again, part of that community thing, mainly because someone picked me up. I could have a glass of wine and it was in a pub every month. So it got me away from the kind of the farm and the young family. Um, I realised then that TB you know, as vets, we go, oh dear me, you failed your TB test and we go home. Whereas TB lived with farmers all the time, they were either waiting for a test, had just passed a test, so they were really joyful, or they knew someone or they'd gone down with reactors. I realised there were a lot of myths out there about TB, no one really understood the testing or the policies. And it was one of my farmers in that NFU group that recommended or said you'd be great at this role, this TB eradication advisory group. So I, you know, put all my imposter syndrome away, applied for it, got some great references off farmers and and colleagues and and got a position. So that was actually me working part-time allowed me to to sort of do stuff out of work. And that was because I had children. But actually, you know, if you want to go and run a marathon or you want to do further education or you want to, I don't know, you're caring for a, a grandparent, whatever it is you do... Part time work allows you to do that. And and so if it hadn't been for having a young family and maybe feeling quite negative about my career, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So I'm an optimist as well and like to find positive things out of everything. So
0: And <laughs> I like to think, and I don't know if you do that, that's changing a bit that idea about that part time vet, um, maybe not contributing as much to the team, but actually they might be doing some other great things in other areas of their lives um and as you yes, say yes. when they're like hen's teeth you 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 probably guess having one for two or three days a week rather than not at all
2: most definitely definitely and and I mean again through the tv work I've done I'm now a board I was asked to become a board member of the RABDF um I'm a board member of the National Beef Association so that has now come back to all impact on the role I'm now going to have with Kings Hay. so even though at the time being just a just a farm vet you know what i mean on farm doing you know very bespoke things for individuals i actually it's it's fed sort of mushroomed into this massive big picture stuff
0: thank you sarah again for joining us it has been absolutely fantastic talking to you about tb in particular and for me treating a bit like any other infectious disease And personally, I want to thank you because I think you are an incredible role model for farm vets across the UK. And I'm sure that I speak on behalf of all of your farmers when I say thank you for being a voice for them, Um, because I know a lot of people aren't. So before we finish, um, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, And the first one would be, what one piece of advice would you give to someone starting out in the industry? At that point in
2: your career, you will never ever know as much as you know as you do then, and have confidence in yourself. Yes, you might have to learn a few practical skills, but that knowledge in your brain only starts to decline. <laughs> so, be- that you- was- the
0: brain sieve. Um, <laughs> so, what do you do to your mind after a stressful day? Oh, now you see, you gave me this question, and
2: I didn't really know because being part of the farming community is my life you know i go to nfu meetings i talk to my farmers i go to markets i go to farm sales but i guess the biggest thing is my children you know um traveling around the country now doing synchronized swimming rugby all those sort of things and again actually that gives me my hour in the car reading a book um drinking my hot chocolate out of a flask so i
0: guess my kids are what help me relax and unwind Mate, I love that it's not just you that's overachieving, it's also your children who aren't just swimming, but a synchronised swimming. <laughs> you your dreams through your children, yeah. <laughs> Did you want uh, to be a synchronised swimmer? I, <laughs> I loved yet. it. I mean, I can barely front crawl, so...
2: <laughs> I know, I mean, if I... Yeah, no, swimming
0: was my thing as a kid, yeah. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> and finally, Sarah, if you weren't working in agriculture, what would you be doing? And I feel like I might be the answer to this question. I question. don't
2: know. I'd have become a AI technician. I'd have become a foot trimmer. I'd have done something. I did <laughs> I... as a kid. I always wanted to be a hairdresser. But I the fear of cutting someone's hair and making a mess of it made me become a vet instead.
1: I <laughs> love <And that's> how the <laughs> fear of cutting someone's hair wrong outweighs the fear of, like cutting into a cow
2: that's what my hairdresser says every time I go and have my hair cut
0: (laughs) see I was going to say to you if you weren't working in agriculture what would you be doing and I thought you would say working
1: in agriculture (laughs) (laughs) my vote was on synchronized swimmer so I was way (laughs) off base. That is it for today's episode, but we'll be back soon. For now, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the Vet Spective for Vets podcast, and tune into our sister podcast, Vet Spective for Farmers. And we will make sure to put in the show notes uh, the TBAS website, so you can go there and get all the information about the upcoming TBAS two project. Thank you very much for listening.